Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. You now, as we've looked at the book of Genesis, and particularly thinking through the first few chapters, we saw of how God established the family. That this is not a social construct, but it is something that is designed by God. And we know that the more we live according to God's design, that we reap the blessing of living according to that design. And yet we also know the fact that man is also sinful as we live in this sin-cursed world. And so none of us will have the perfect family. But yet again, this is true that the more we live according to God's design, there's a blessing that is experienced in the family. And the more away from God's design we live, there's going to be more troubles and the family will be a more terrible place to be in the more we go away from that design. This morning we're going to look at one such family, the family of Isaac. And really when you think about it, this is the, the chosen people of God. I mean, this is Isaac and Rebekah, you know, the patriarch and matriarch of of the people of Israel, the chosen people of God. And then there are two children, Jacob and Esau. And yet what we see in this entire chapter, although we'll just look at half this chapter, is that this family is an absolute mess. It's actually a a, a sad picture, really. Because there's not one member in this family, as we look at this chapter, that does well. Everyone's sinning. Everyone's conspiring against each other. It's a broken family. In fact, this family is never together. What we see is different occasions where one or two parties gather together talking about that, conspiring against this person and that person, and it's just fractured and fractured and fractured till ultimately this entire family will be permanently fractured. Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and even Esau, as we'll look next week, all are guilty and sin. And yet, against this backdrop, against the blackness of the sin of his people, we see God's grace shining through. Where God had promised that he would redeem a people for himself. Where he would bless a people for himself, a people that would be transformed and would live for his glory. And that is what we'll ultimately see in this passage. I've titled this morning's sermon as Isaac Blesses Jacob. And we'll look at this passage under three headings. We'll look at Isaac's failure in Genesis 26 verse 34 all the way to verse 4 of Genesis 27. Then we'll look at Rebekah's scheming in verses 5 through 17. And then we'll look at Jacob's deception in verses 18 through to 29. So let's look first at Isaac's failure. Verse 34 of Genesis 26. When Esau was 40 years old, He took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So if you remember, the two sons were 
Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older of the twin boys. And now the twin boys have grown up. Esau is 40 years old. And it says that he takes two Philistine wives, Judith and Bessemer. And what you need to understand here is that what Esau has done is not normal. This is going outside the boundaries of God's design. Because first of all it says Esau marries two wives. And we know that God's design right from the Garden of Eden for marriage has always been between one man and one woman. That's been God's design. And then on top of that, it says that he married two Hittite women. And when you think of Hittites, they were essentially the Canaanites. Ungodly people, people who didn't believe in the true and living God. And if you remember, God had told Abraham way back that he would judge the Canaanites because of their sin and their ungodliness and their immorality and would one day drive them out of the land. And, you, and if you remember, even from a few weeks ago, we saw of how Abraham took extra pains to send his servant all the way to find a suitable wife for Isaac from his family from Padan Aram to find a suitable wife for his son Isaac so that he wouldn't marry any of the Canaanite women. And so now here to see Esau going out and marrying not just one woman, but two women, and that two Canaanite women or Hittite women, without the involvement of his parents, shows once again, that he is doing things his own way. That he is indifferent to God's design and God's plan and God's purposes. Previously, we saw that Esau had despised or had no regard for his birthright. So much so that when he was hungry, he just gave away his birthright to his younger brother. Because he had no regard for it. But if you remember when we looked at it, that birthright was connected to God's promises and his plan of redemption. And so over there we saw, yeah, this Esau is a godless man. He's not interested in the things of God. And so again here, when we see Esau marrying two Hittite women... It shows himself again to be someone who's not interested in spiritual things, who's not interested in the things of God. And it even says that these wives were a source of grief to his parents. Obviously now there's clashing of ideas. I mean, these are unbelieving daughter-in-laws and the parents are believers yeah, there's two different worldviews and two different ways of living. And that's going to cause issues in the family. So now this serves now as a background to what unfolds now in Genesis 27. But it's almost like the text is wanting us to keep that in mind. To keep in mind, hey, Esau is one who has no interest in the things of God. He despises the things of God and just does what he wants to do. He's a godless man. So it's almost like the text wants us to keep that in mind as we get into what unfolds in chapter 27. Now look at the first four verses of Genesis 27. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his oldest son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. 
He said, Behold, I am old and do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So Isaac has now become old. And he has become blind. But I would also say, given what unfolds in this chapter, this is also, in some sense, also hinting at the fact that Isaac, in fact, has also become spiritually blind. And now Isaac thinks he's nearing his death. You know, in Genesis 20, uh, 35, it will say that, you know, Isaac will only die at the age of 180. So whatever age it is, you know, some scholars say, you know, at the very least, he's 100. Because when he had the twins, he was 60. And just a couple of verses before it said, Esau got married when he was 40. So at the very least, he's at least 100 years old. Some scholars say he might be closer to 140 years. Either way, he's at least got a few more decades to live till before he dies. But in Isaac's mind, he's, he's become blind and he thinks he's nearing death. And so Isaac calls Esau then to, to bless him. And he instructs him to go hunt game and, and, and tells him to prepare a delicious meal that he also loves so much. Why? So that he may bless Esau before he dies. Now in those days when a father was nearing death, he would usually call all of his children and he would bless them. And this would be a very public affair. But what you see here in this case is Isaac doesn't call both his sons. He just calls one of them. He simply calls Esau. And it's not done publicly, it's just done very privately beyond the closed doors of his tent. And, and look specifically, it says in verse 4, Isaac specifically says to Esau, you know, bring me what I love so that my soul may bless you. It's like Isaac is saying, with my whole being, with everything I have, I, I will bless you then, my son. See, Isaac wants to bless Esau with all the blessings that he has received in his life. Or in other words, Isaac wants everything to go to Esau. Now, why is he doing this? Why does he want to give his entire blessing to Esau? Well, we already were given a hint in Genesis 25, 28. That the parents had their favorites. Isaac loved Esau, and Rebekah loved Jacob. So now there's a big problem with what Isaac is wanting to do here. Because God had said, when the twins were still in the womb of Rebekah, in Genesis 25, 23, that the older shall serve the younger. Or in other words, Jacob would be the chosen one by God. He would be the chosen heir. He would be the one to receive the promised blessing and carry on God's plan of salvation. So what's happened with Isaac then? Why is Isaac doing this? Well, here's what's happened. Isaac 
has a particular love for wild meat cooked well. We saw that in Genesis 25. That was a big weakness for him. In fact, in Genesis 25, we also saw that the reason why he loved Esau more than his other son was because Esau was the hunter, the manly man. You know, the, the outdoorsy, wild and free kind of guy who would go out and hunt this delicious food for him and bring him back this food. And it's possible because just generally when we see the life of Isaac, he seems like a more passive person. And Esau is this wild and free, manly man, hairy, you know, big, strong, buff of a man. And so he favors Esau. And it would seem that over the years, Isaac is now so driven by his physical appetites that he's beginning to overlook the fact that his son, this manly man, Esau, has no interest in the things of God. So much so that in Isaac's mind, so long as Esau brings him the food that he so dearly loves, he's happy to give all the blessings to him. And for this Esau to be the next heir of the family. See how spiritually blind Isaac has become? I mean, Esau is the son who had no regard for his birthright and the promised plan of God. This is the son who had gone out of his own accord and married two Hittite women against what God had already said. Esau was a man who had no regard for God. And so to make Esau the heir of the family and to give him all the blessings would also be to go against what God has said even. Because God said Jacob would be the chosen one and he would be the heir. See, Isaac, over the years, he's been nursing this fleshly appetite. You know, he's blind, he's getting weak, and so his big, boisterous, manly man of a son gets him his comforts. And because he's been nursing that fleshly appetite, it's developed a spiritual blindness for Isaac. Instead of calling Esau to repent of his ways and to follow the Lord and to trust in him, Isaac is happy to overlook those things of Esau and just bless him, give him all the blessings against God's word and make him the heir of the next generation. In fact, Isaac has become so blinded spiritually, he's willing to really go against what God has said, so long as his physical desires are met. What can we learn from this? Well, we know that Isaac is a believer because last week we looked at 26 and we saw, while he's not a perfect man, he's a man of faith and he walked in the footsteps of his father Abraham. And yet here we see that there is a danger that we all face as believers as we look at how Isaac is portrayed here. And the danger is this. Is that when we start nursing certain fleshly appetites, and we nurse it and nurse it and nurse it, and those appetites then start governing our lives. You know, sometimes it can start as a very small thing. It can be a harmless thing even. Maybe a love for sport or, you know, some form of social media or entertainment or just, you know, just very harmless things. And then we give in to those appetites so much so 
we give our time and everything to it so much so that it starts taking over. And then it crowds out the things of God and we stop making time for the things of God and then we start becoming spiritually blind. So as believers, the question that we should ask ourselves is this. Are there any physical appetites that we are pursuing? It can be even harmless things. But are there any physical appetites that we are pursuing that is causing us to neglect the things of God? And if the answer is yes, then we need to bring it under check. Because what we're doing invariably is making ourselves spiritually blind. And if it's unchecked, it will not, these appetites will not only have disastrous effects in our own lives, but it will have disastrous effects in the lives of those around us. And particularly as a parent, or, or, or even more particularly as a father, this is so important. As we've seen, especially over the last few weeks in the life of Isaac, the spiritual health of the home starts with the parents and particularly the father. See, because whatever the spiritual health of the parent, good or bad, that impacts the spiritual health of the home and the priorities made and the decisions made in the home. You know, sometimes a parent can say, you know what, I'm going to get X number of dollars more with my job. So, you know, they, they uproot their family and they go to this place and they're there. But there's no good church there. And that's going to have a spiritual impact on the family. Because the parent was not thinking spiritually about these things. Or other times where parents are emphasizing, you know, even, you know, really encouraging strongly for the children to be good students and to be involved in sports and arts and, and whatever else. And there's probably even a sense in which the parents are trying to live out their own lives through their children. While those are all good things to you know, encourage the children to study hard and to be involved in sports and arts and whatnot, if there's no real emphasis equally on teaching the children the things of God, yeah, it's similar to what has happened to Isaac. Those physical appetites have taken over and it's beginning to crowd out the things of God and it's going to have an impact in the family. And you can see in one sense, at least in one sense, not entirely, but at least in one sense, why Esau is the way he is. Because his father is not calling him to account. Why Abraham took so much pains to make sure that Isaac didn't get married to a Canaanite woman. Here's, Ke Ke um, here's Esau who's gone out and married two Canaanite women. So here we see for Isaac, he had let his love for wild game so control him that he had become blind to the spiritual state of his son. And he just let him do whatever he wanted to do so long as Esau satisfied his physical appetite. So here we see, that was Isaac's failure. And that brings us to the next person who sins next member of the family who sins, that's Rebecca. And here we come to Rebecca's scheming in verses 5 through 17. Let me just read the 5 through 8 first. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. 
So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I have heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Now Rebecca knew well what God had said, that Jacob would be the chosen one, the chosen heir, the one who would get all the blessings, that he would be served by his older brother Esau. So she knew that what Jacob was about to do was wrong. That what, what Isaac was, suppo- uh, what was going to do was wrong. That, in fact, Jacob should be the one who should get his father's blessings. Now, in this case, a good and godly wife should have gone to her husband. Rebecca should have gone to her husband, Isaac, and lovingly reminded Isaac of, of God's word. Remember, dear Isaac, God had said the older will serve the younger, that, that Jacob will be the chosen one. She should have reminded Isaac, I, I, Isaac, this is about God's plan and purposes. It, it's not about us. Isaac, please think through what you're doing, what you're about to do. And then beyond that, she should have prayed to the Lord as well. I mean, we saw a couple of chapters ago, when she was concerned about the twins in her womb, that she had gone to the Lord in prayer. And so then she should have done the same here, sought the Lord. But she doesn't do any of that. And we know from, again, the previous chapters, that Rebekah favors Jacob more than Esau. And in fact, even in this chapter, there's this thing of where uh, Isaac will keep saying, my son, my son, when it comes to Esau. And Rebekah will keep saying, my son, my son, with regards to Jacob. And we, when she refers to Esau, it doesn't say my son, she says, oh, your brother. So already you can see the parental favoritism playing a part here and it's causing division. Now Rebecca starts scheming. She doesn't go to her husband. There's a divide in the family and she starts scheming and she devises a plan to counter her husband's plan so that Jacob can now get the blessing. She's going to take things into her own hands and she's going to get Jacob to deceive his father. There's no doing things God's way here. There's no seeking out God. And it even shows in the marriage. You know, in in marriages... It's easy as the marriage goes on over time for the husband and wife to just become distant. And then to, as they see each other's sin more and more, to be nitpicky and they start living these separate lives, just doing their own thing, especially when God is no longer in the center of that relationship. And then when there's issues with one another, there's often even a mixing of roles. Where the husband can become passive, where the wife can try to be controlling and manipulating, and they sort of are working against each other, not according to the design of God. And it would seem as though that Isaac, despite his faith in God, 
had become passive in his spiritual leadership in the home. And so Rebecca, generally being the more active, uh, you know, outdoor kind of person, she's now taking control. And she's now scheming against her own husband and involving her son so that her son can get blessed. Let me just say this. It is never a good idea to set your children against your spouse. That's never a good idea. It is not God's design and, it's, and things will not go well. It, will, it does not honor the Lord and it will only tear up the family. For a parent to take sides with the children and then gang up on the other spouse. I want you to think about this. You know, what has happened here. Because this hasn't happened overnight. You know, nobody out of the blue comes out and says, oh, you know, I'm just going to drift away from my spouse. You know, I'm going to start scheming and manipulating and plotting against my spouse. Nobody's going to do that. That just never happens just overnight. We know that Isaac and Rebecca, they're, they're both believers. And even how they got married to, how God brought it all about, you know, it, it was a wonderful display of God's providence. And it's like, wow, you know, you know, it was a match made in heaven, so to speak. And yet, somewhere along the way, God was no longer in the center of their marriage. And they weren't intentional about keeping God in the center of their marriage. And so each person started doing their own thing. Each person had their favorite child and they did whatever with their child. But God was no longer in the center of the marriage and they started drifting apart. And now the fractures are showing more and more. Let's look at Rebecca's plan to counter Isaac's plan. Verse 9. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Rebecca knows very well about Isaac's weaknesses. Rebecca knows, oh, he's got this thing for food. And she knows exactly how to cook it in the way that Isaac likes. So the plan is simple. While Esau is away hunting, Rebecca will quickly prepare two young goats. And make a delicious meal that Isaac will love. Which then Jacob has to take to Isaac. And so Isaac can then get the blessing. But then I, I, Isaac has a problem. Uh, pardon me. Jacob has a problem with the plan that Re Rebecca has come up with. Look at verses 11 and 12. But Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother. Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. See, the sad part is here, even for Jacob. His problem with this plan that his mother has come up with, you know, he's not saying, Mother, this is wrong. This is sinful to deceive father. This is not honoring father. That's not what Jacob's concern is here. His only concern is, what if I get caught? And if I get caught, I might get cursings from father instead of blessings. That's all he's concerned about. 
but his mother reassures him and she has it all figured out. Look at verse 13 onwards. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her oldest son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. Why? So that now Jacob would smell like Esau. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck so that he would feel hairy like Esau. And she put the delicious food and the bread which he had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So this is the plan of Rebekah. Now we could say that in one sense, Rebekah is trying to do the right thing. You know, God had promised that Jacob would be the one who would receive the blessing. And she's trying to ensure that the blessing would go to Jacob and not Esau. Well, here's the problem. The way that Rebekah is going about this is sinful. And she's dragging her son into her sin as well, causing him to sin. I mean, here's a thought. What if Rebecca didn't hear what Isaac said to Esau? What if she wasn't there somewhere near the tent? I mean, would Jacob still be the one who would become the heir and have all the blessings? Yes. Why? Because God has promised it. And what God says will come to pass. And so the problem with Rebecca is that while she has the right end in mind, she's not trusting the Lord to bring it about in his time and in his way. She's taking things into her own hands and even willing to sin to make sure that it comes to pass. You know, the Lord, he doesn't need our help to accomplish his plan. And he certainly doesn't need us to deceive and manipulate and scheme and sin to help him somehow to accomplish his plan. Oh, how is God going to do this? Let me help, it, help him out. I know this is difficult. I might have to manipulate and some deception and things. But, you know, ultimately, God will be helped. No, he doesn't need our help. God can certainly accomplish his plans. That's why he is God. You know, we read from Proverbs 3 this morning on trusting the Lord and not leaning on our own understanding. Rebecca is just doing the opposite. She's leaning on her own understanding and not trusting the Lord. Uh, it's going to have disastrous long-term effects. See, there's never a time for a believer to sin so that he can bring about what God has willed. Never. Never a time for a believer to sin so that he can bring about what God has said he would do. Let me just give you just a couple of examples. You know, as a parent or as a father, you know, a, a man might say, I need to provide for my family. Yeah, that's a godly thing to do. And we shouldn't say, oh, you know, we shouldn't go out looking for jobs. That's what we need to do. We need to trust in the Lord, but we need to actively pursue that. But then for the guy to say, oh, you know what, but I don't make enough money in my job, so let me cheat on my taxes so that I can provide better for my family. No, 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 no. That's wrong. God doesn't need our sin to bring about what he has said in his word. Or for a church, for that matter. 
You know, there's a genuine desire to reach out to those who are lost in sin and those who don't know Jesus. And that is definitely a godly desire. But then for the church to say, yeah, but you know what? Let's just not preach the word. Let's not preach the Bible. You know, let's just soften the gospel. Maybe if there's things in there that might, you know, offend certain people, let's just take away all those things. And let's just give more entertainment for the people. Hey, because finally, so many more people will come than just, you know, just a boring sermon. No, that would be wrong and sinful as well. The, the end is good, but how we get to that end is also equally important. We cannot sin to get to that end. The ends do not justify the means. That's exactly right. The means are just as important. And we should not resort to sin to pursue any godly desire. So here we see Isaac's failure, his focus is off, he's willing to sin and overlook the state of his son and even be passive in his leadership in the home, so long as he, his fleshly appetites are met. Rebecca is scheming, there's a division between the husband and the wife, and she's now manipulating and even willing to sin, even though the end is good, which is she wants the blessing for Jacob, which is what God has said. But she's even pitting her son against his father. And the family is fracturing more and more. And this brings us to the third point, the sin of the next member. Like I said, this is not a pretty picture at all. But this is the good thing about the Bible because the Bible never sugarcoats even people of faith and even people that God has used. Here we come to Jacob's deception in verses 18 to 29. One thing I just want to say is, you know, Jacob is just as culpable. You know, Jacob is not this naive guy. Just, you know, his mom has said this and he's just, Blindly following? No, remember, he's a grown man. At the very least, even Jacob is 40, if not older. Some say he's probably close to like 80. So he's not a child. So he's just as responsible for his actions. Verse 18 and 19. So he, speaking of Jacob, went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. That's just a blatant lie, isn't it? I mean, this is a serious thing. I mean, Jacob has no qualms in just blatantly lying to his father, blatantly dishonoring his father. In fact, he's taking full advantage of the fact that his father is blind. In fact, later in the law, there's cursings even to be brought upon those who will mislead the blind. And just look at his deception. He doesn't just say, I am Esau. He says, I am Esau, your firstborn. Hint, hint. You know, the one that you are going to bless? That's who I am. And then the second lie. I, I, I've done all that you told me. Now eat of my game and, and bless me. But Isaac is suspicious. Isaac knows that it's going to take a while to go out and hunt an animal and then cook it and then bring it. And so Isaac says in verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. 
See, this would have been a great opportunity for Jacob to come out with the truth. But he just continues to lie. In fact, he even uses the Lord's name to promote his deception. That's just blasphemy. But that's what happens sometimes when people are just so caught up in deception and sin. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. So when the heart is entrenched in sin, it's easy to justify that, oh, you know what? No, God has been helping me. He's been guiding me all the way. The Bible makes it very clear. God never leads anyone into sinful behavior. It's our own wicked heart and sinful desires that lead us to sin. It's not anything on the outside. It's not even God. It's our own sinful heart. James 1, 13 and 14 makes it very clear. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he tempts and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So despite Jacob using the Lord's name in vain and blaspheming the Lord's name, saying, oh, he's the one who granted me success somehow to deceive Isaac, Isaac is still suspicious. Verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Now I would think, you know, Esau being the strong, manly man kind of guy, he would have probably had a deeper voice. And so, you know, Jacob would have probably had a higher pitched voice. At least not as deep as Esau. So it's possible that even in this deception, Jacob is trying to put on like this kind of deep voice. But his father can tell the difference. It's like, no, 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 that, that, that sounds like Jacob. But then the, the problem or the confusion now starts happening in, in Isaac's mind because Jacob is the smooth-skinned guy and Esau is the hairy guy. And now Jacob is wearing the goat skins now. Look at verse 23. And he, speaking of Isaac, did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And now Isaac asks him directly, are you really who you say you are? Look at verse 24. He said, are you really my son Esau? You know, I find this interesting also because when Jacob picks up that his father is listening to his voice and paying close attention to his voice, now all this time Jacob was talking quite a bit. Now it's just minimal words. I am. That's all he says. Doesn't say more. Now the next test, the food test. Okay, the voice, something is not quite right, but... You know, he's got the hair. Verse 25, then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. You know, the funny thing is, Isaac is the big connoisseur of wild game. You know, the guy who really loved this kind of food. But here, he can't even tell the difference between wild meat and just goat meat. It might even be showing that his palate too has become weak. And now the last and final test is a kiss from his son. And you see Jacob doing just that. I mean, it it shows how sinful this, this son is. So treacherous Jacob is. 
And it almost makes you think of Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus for a kiss for personal gain. Look at verse 26 and 27. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. And so he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son? is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. So even though the one speaking to him sounded like Jacob, as far as Isaac is concerned, this person in front of me is hairy like Esau. He's made food like Esau. He even smells like Esau as he's just kissed me. And so now Isaac is deceived and he blesses Jacob. Verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. What is this blessing? This is the blessing of a fruitful land, that he would have plenty from the land, that he would have much grain and wine. And really, this is what the promised land will become, isn't it? The land flowing with milk and honey. A land similar to the Garden of Eden. So it's, it's fruitful land. That's the first blessing. Then in verse 29, it says, Let the people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. This blessing is about being a, a, a great person, a, being a kingly sort of person. Where others, other people, nations and people, even his brothers would come and bow down to him. Uh, uh, just think about this. Isaac is thinking this blessing is going to Esau. And so he's clearly saying in this blessing, or oh, at least in Isaac's mind, Esau, you're going to be served by your brothers. Or in other words, Jacob is going to serve you. The total opposite of what God has said. But isn't it amazing? God in his sovereignty is actually bringing this blessing upon Jacob, the very person that God had intended. And in fact, many years later, Jacob himself will pronounce this blessing on his son Judah in Genesis 49, 8-10. Where the brothers are to come and bow down to him. And the scepter shall not depart from you. Again, it's that kingly sort of language. And then the last bit, cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's part of that Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 3. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. So as we're thinking about this blessing, what it's about, it's really about God's plan to save the world and about the coming Messiah, the coming Savior that would come through this promised line. And that blessing has been passed on to Jacob even though Isaac wanted that blessing to go to Esau. So as we come to the end of this text for this morning, we see that you know, Rebecca and Jacob in some sense got what they wanted. But in some sense, they, it'll come at a great cost because of their sinful actions. Sinful actions always have consequences. Rebecca, after this chapter, she will never see her son after this. In fact, she'll disappear from the scene altogether. There's not even a mention of her death. Although there's mention of the death of her nurse a few chapters later. All we hear about Rebecca is when they're talking about uh, the cave of Machpelah, that Rebecca was buried there. That's pretty much it. So Rebecca, because of what she had done, causing this divide, causing the son to go against the father, and causing this rift, she's almost kind of vanishes from the scene. 
As for Isaac, he also kind of disappears from the scene. And we only hear about Isaac later, just about his death. And really, the family is going to be permanently divided after this. What about Jacob? Well, Jacob, while he got the blessing, he'll have to run away from his home, away from the promised land for fear of his life, because his brother will want to kill him, and we'll see that next week. And he'll be away for 20 years. And there, while he's away, he will be deceived. He himself will be deceived by his uncle, Laban. And then Jacob, when he has his own family, it will be a family full of conflict. See, Jacob didn't need to deceive to get the blessing. He just needed to trust the Lord. Everyone in this family, in this family that God has chosen, is acting in sin. Not a pretty picture. But it is against the blackness of the sin of each of the individuals of this family, we see the grace of God shine through. We see God's plan coming into play that even though man has sinned against God, God promised that he will have a people for himself. And he will do that because of his own doing. He will do that by his own grace. You know, when we think of Isaac and Rebecca, we think, what, they were believers? You know, they had the promises of God. They don't deserve it. Yeah, that's right. That's why it's God's grace. Because God's grace, again, is not based on our merit. It's never based on whether we deserve it or not. Jacob, he's an absolute scoundrel. And after this, we're going to look into his life for the next number of chapters. And we'll see him just deceiving and doing all kinds of things over the next few chapters. Did he deserve to be the next heir for the family and to carry this promised line? No. That's what makes the grace of God grace. Because it is not because of something man has done. Man will never deserve the grace of God. Man will always stand guilty before God. God's grace is simply his un deserved favor. While we see the, the sin of God's chosen people here, we also see the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God, which is really the only ground of salvation. God's plan is to save a sinful people to himself and transform them for his glory. You know, in this passage we saw Jacob taking Esau's clothes and covering himself and clothing himself and putting on the skins of a goat. And the reason why he did this was to deceive his father for the blessing. And yet many years later, through the line of this scoundrel named Jacob, would come the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he came from the line of Jacob. And he came down into this world and he took on himself the filthy clothes of his people. He took on the sin of his people. Not so that he could deceive anyone. Not so that 
he would receive the blessing, but so that he would receive the curse of God. You see, Jesus came 2,000 years ago into this world for sinful people like you and me, where he lived a perfect life, never lying, never deceiving, even though the world treated him not right. And then he died on the cross, not because he was sinful, but he died on the cross for the sinners of this world. And by dying on the cross, God's wrath, God's judgment that was deserved for sinful people like you and me was poured out on him. God's cursing was poured out on Jesus Christ on that cross. And then he died paying the just punishment for sinful people like you and me. And then he didn't just die, he rose up on the third day. Proving that he is able to provide a way by which he's satisfied the wrath of God and he's provided a way for sinners like you and me to be made right with this God and receive the grace of God by faith. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, let me just tell you this. You might try to clothe yourself with something to get yourself accepted before God. Maybe it's good works. Maybe it's going to church. You know, maybe it's praying prayers. Maybe it's giving away lots of money to the poor or doing great things for the community. Let me tell you, friend, you can do all of these things, but you still stand guilty before God. Because the reality is you still have one big problem, and that is sin, and that sin problem is inside you. And you cannot get rid of that. But again, understand the grace of God, His undeserved grace that has been shown on the cross of Calvary through Jesus Christ. That he took the punishment for the sin of this world so like people like you and me could be made right with God. So I would plead with you today. As you've listened to this message today, as you've listened to what Christ has done, that you don't cling on to your good works, you don't cling on to the things of this world, you don't cling on to what you can do but you turn and see what Jesus Christ has done. What he has done on the cross. And if you say, yes, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in what he has done. I believe that he has died on the cross for my sins. And taken the punishment for my sins. Then I would say to you, then turn away from your sins. Turn away from living for yourself. Turn away from trying to cover yourself with some good works. Trying to be accepted before God. And trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. And the evidence that you truly follow him is that you're continuing to walk in his ways. As for believers, yes, this has not been the most encouraging passage that we've gone through in Genesis. It's a whole bunch of sin. And yet, we see that the three individuals that we looked at were still believers. That's the grace of God. Undeserved. For people who don't deserve it, and yet God has graciously shown it to us through Jesus Christ. How amazing is His grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace that is shown to us through Jesus Christ. May we never be apathetic toward that grace that you've shown to us. May we never think it's ever deserved because of something we've done. 
But as we live in this truth of how deserved, undeserved, your grace has been to us. Help us to love you more and walk according to your ways and make much of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.